What's up sports people and welcome into this edition of the Victory Formation. New episodes will be uploaded weekly on Wednesdays and be sure to follow me on Twitter at AaronNeil52 for tweets and my reaction to the latest news around the sports world in between these episodes. Let's get right into it. Monday was was a game for the ages to say the least. Kansas put on a show by coming back from a 15-point deficit at halftime and ripping out the still-beating heart of the Tar Heels on national TV. And I'm here for that. I love stories like that. It's great. But I have to give massive respect to Bill Self and his team for their sportsmanship and not taking advantage of the injury that happened to Armando Back Baycott whenever he went down with injury in the final minute of the game. Big props to them for slowing down, stopping, and honestly, it showed the utmost respect to his opponent, Bill Self, that is, the utmost respect to his opponent and giving them the opportunity to sub out Baycott and put in a put in fresh legs. And it also showed the confidence that he has in his team to not take advantage of the five-on-four opportunity that was presented and say, I believe in my guys to beat your guys at their best. We're not going to take any cheap shots. I believe that we have what it takes to overcome anything you throw at us. And that shows what kind of man Bill Self is and the program he has there in Kansas. And it was great to see that level of sportsmanship on the biggest stage in college basketball. It was great. Now, the topic of discussion before the national championship game was UNC versus Duke. Now, that was Coach K's final game, though we didn't know it at the time. But that was a battle of heavyweights. There was over 15 lead changes and 10 ties. Now, going into that game, Coach K said that game, this game doesn't mean more than any other game because of who our opponent is. It would always be important. But looking back on it, I have to say, it might not mean more, but it probably hurts a lot more because of who you lost to. Now, those two teams have played each other over 250 times, but never once in the NCAA tournament. Now, the fact that the first time they do play each other is in Coach K's final game and it's for a chance to play for the national title made that story even more remarkable. Because, yes, it was Duke versus North Carolina, but ultimately it was Coach K versus North Carolina. Now, whenever Coach K came to Duke, his very first loss as a head coach was in North Carolina. So it's only fitting that his final loss was in North Carolina. And I actually thought Duke would win this game. I figured they would get some calls late because of who they are and Coach K, that they'd get some calls late and it would actually favor them and push their odds of winning up. But overall, it was actually officiated fairly well and North Carolina made more plays than Duke did down the stretch. And I 
I hated seeing Coach K go out with a loss to North Carolina, mainly because I wanted to see if he could get his sixth championship because I enjoy seeing the greats be great at what they do, and he arguably has been one of the greatest in college basketball. But then again, it's also fitting that he lost to North Carolina because, like I said, it was his very first, so might as well make it his very last loss. But there's no denying Coach K's greatness because when he was hired on as the head coach for Duke, they had zero national titles. He won five. He went to 12 Final Fours, and you can count on one hand the amount of times that he's missed the NCAA tournament. And he also coached the USA men's basketball team in the Olympics. So there's no questioning his greatness as one of the best coaches in basketball history for simply the the amount of things that he's accomplished as a coach. And I'm privileged to say I got to witness some of his greatness as a coach during my love of basketball, and it's been a real honor to watch. Now, the women's national championship wasn't nearly as dramatic as the men's. South Carolina cruised to a 15-point win over UConn. Now, it did get close at times, but overall, South Carolina handled that, handled that game with ease. UConn's run to the title game was nice. I mean, it shows the championship pedigree that they have in beating number one Louisville, number one Stanford. It just was too much for them to beat a number one three times in a row. And not only that, it was the number one overall seed in the tournament. But UConn showed their, like I said, showed their championship pedigree in being able to overcome those number one seeds to make it there. And actually, UConn was 11-0 in title games before this loss to South Carolina. But props to them for showing what they have. That was really nice to see. But congrats to South Carolina's women's team on their second-ever national title. Great job to them. Now, staying in the realm of basketball, but transitioning to the NBA, the Celtics have found their winning ways again. Meanwhile, the Lakers have lost again and been eliminated from the playoffs. Now, these are the two biggest brands in the NBA with 34 titles between them both. But the Lakers are a complete mess. They are hot garbage. And... Everyone keeps talking about, oh, LeBron this and LeBron that. Well, Kareem and Magic Johnson just came out criticizing LeBron. And a theory that came to my mind about what Magic Johnson had to say is that he's trying to expose the bad decisions that LeBron and Rob Polinka have made. So that way, Jeannie Buss, who he has a very close almost sisterly-like relationship with has an out or a reason to make wide sweeping changes all over the organization and honestly probably to try to strip LeBron of some of his power and influence that he has over the organization because it just goes to show that he doesn't necessarily think about what's best for the team it's what's best for him
and that to remove some of his power would ultimately benefit the team in vying for another championship instead of being beholden to him and doing what he wants. That way he gets his accolades or a scoring title or whatever it is that he's going for over what the team is trying to achieve, which is ultimately a championship. But until those wide sweeping changes are made, the Lakers aren't going to win anything of importance anytime soon. And until those changes are made, I'm done talking about the Lakers because they are basically the Wizards. Garbage. So I'm done talking about them. The Celtics, meanwhile, are very well run and very well coached and have just recorded their third 40-point win of the season, which actually ties an NBA record. The injury to Robert Williams, though, was a setback, and honestly, it looked like it shocked the team because right after that, they dropped two straight, one in overtime to the Raptors where, need I remind you, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown didn't play. They lost by three and then lost the very next game to the Heat. And honestly, in that game, it looked like they were trying to figure out how they were going to play without one of without the second best shot blocker in the NBA this season in Robert Williams. But they have gotten back to their winning ways. And honestly, I believe they are still a threat to come out of the East for the finals. But from watching last night's game of the Bucks versus the Bulls, the Bucks are my new favorite to come out of the East to win the title. Mainly because of the return of Brooke Lopez. Now, Brooke Lopez had 28 points last night, and he's only played 11 games this season after injury. And this was his first game back after injury. But the duo of Giannis and Lopez together as big men, and then you have Middleton, who has, I believe, established established himself as a legit star and possibly a superstar. They have the best opportunity to come out of the East, in my opinion. I would put it as a two-horse race to come out of the East with the Bucks and the Celtics. I give the Bucks a 60% chance to win and Boston a 40% chance to win, depending on how Robert Williams comes back from injury, if he's the same kind of person that he was before. But in that matchup, which I believe will be in the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't see the Boston Celtics having enough big men down low to counteract the explosiveness of Giannis and the playmaking ability of Brooke Lopez in the post or popping out to shoot a three. I just don't see how they would defend both when they're both on the floor. So my new favorite is the Bucks to come out of the East. And they looked dangerous last night with Lopez back in the rotation. Now jumping over into the NFL free agency, the Devontae Parker trade from the Dolphins to the Patriots was shocking only in the fact that they're interdivision rivals. So I wouldn't think that the Dolphins would want to trade to a division rival to make them better. But 
it's understandable why the Patriots would want him because not last season, but the year before, he was their biggest target as a wide receiver. So that move makes sense from the Patriots standpoint. I just didn't really get it from the Dolphins point of making a division rival better. But also with the free agency, Stefan Diggs of the Bills just got a four-year extension of $104 million and 70 of that's guaranteed. Now, that just goes to show the arms race that is going on in the AFC this year with Devontae Adams moving over to the Raiders, Russell Wilson coming over to Denver, and the fact that Tennessee also went and got a awesome number two at Robert Woods to bring over to pair with A.J. Brown. Now, the AFC is loaded at wide receiver and quarterback. And honestly, wide receivers have become probably the second most, no, I'd say the third most important player on the team, mainly because they fall behind the quarterback who touches the ball every single play and is the most important position on the team. But they fall behind a good pass rush player, such as an Aaron Donald or somebody, because you need to have your quarterback, but you need to get someone who can get to their quarterback. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. If they're somewhat competent, which all quarterbacks are in the NFL, somewhat competent, they have all day stand back there. They're going to pick you apart. It doesn't matter if they're Tom Brady or they're Johnny Manziel. They'll have the ability and the skill level to pick you apart if they're not being put under duress or under pressure. But wide receiver is the third most important position in the NFL now due to all the rule changes that have happened in the NFL over the past few years favoring offense. But that's the biggest news that I've seen of the NFL here recently. But the NFL draft is coming up on April 27th. So we'll probably see some moves going on by that time, either trading picks or something. This isn't a very strong draft in general. I mean, there's a few playmakers here and there. But overall, I feel like it's just a solid draft. It's it's not full of superstars or anything crazy like that. So I would look to see a few teams actually maybe possibly trade down out of the out of their top picks to get more draft capital in general to get as many good players as possible instead of trying to rely on just one possibly potential star in an early first round pick but I wouldn't bet on it that's it for me guys catch me on Wednesdays when I upload new episodes and follow me on Twitter at AaronNail52. Give me some feedback. Let me know. Rate the podcast, whatever you want to say. Hit me up.